I am late. I'm late with this podcast. I made out when I rebooted all of these podcasts a few weeks ago that I would publish each episode reliably on on every Thursday and and obviously I I said that with all good intent and then as the Christmas holidays approached I realized that that I had effectively awarded myself two days off because it just so happened that uh, the publishing day that I had sort of plucked out of thin air was both Christmas Day and New Year's Day. So uh, I approached both Christmas Day and New Year's Day with a certain amount of sort of mild guilt. Should I do something about them? Uh, should I publish something on those days? And then I sort of had a little meeting with myself and thought, nah, I'm not going to do that. So consequently, this particular this particular episode is late. Yeah, whatever. Does it really matter? Is anybody really listening? Does anybody really care? Who knows? A book that I've been reading over over the Christmas holidays, entitled uh, "The Chimp Paradox" by Steve Peters, is something which has really uh, resonated with me, uh, and I've come back to on a number of different occasions following a number of different interactions and sort of thought processes that I've had over the Christmas holidays. Christmas holidays are, or any kind of holidays, I think are absolutely fantastic for sort of ironing out things that aren't quite right. Uh, and things that aren't quite right, by, by which I mean um, sort of thought processes and sort of... Uh, just taking a few steps back and reflecting on why is it that I think about that thing in that way? Is there is there a different way of thinking about it? And the chimp paradox is is, is absolutely fantastic. It's a it's a brilliant foundation for for thinking in that particular way. The thing uh, one one of the things in in the chimp paradox that uh, I come back to again during the holidays uh, is this really powerful question that you can ask yourself. Um, when you're trying to uncover what it is that is your sort of core value, your core belief. Steve Peters refers to it as um, as the stone of life, uh, which always makes me smile because it sounds, sounds a bit weird, really. It sounds a bit hippie. Uh, but if you, if you ignore the title... Uh, really, what he means by the, by the stone of life is this sort of core belief, the the, the core thing that you that you um, hold dear to you. You may not know what your your core belief, which is which is why the question that he poses um, uh, is really quite useful. And the question is: Imagine yourself in in your last dying moments, and you have a minute of your life left, and your great-grandchild steps up to your bedside and asks you, how should I lead my life? What advice have you got for me to lead my life? And you, as the dying great-grandparent, have a minute, only a minute, to answer that question. Uh, and... Oh, it's the most powerful... Oh, you've only got a minute. You've only got a minute, which, you know, considering that this podcast has already gone on for just over four minutes, I would probably find it very difficult to answer the question. 
Uh, but but it's a really powerful thing, and it's a really useful thing because when you listen to it, when or when you listen to the question, when you think about it, uh, you think about all of the things that are really important to you. Uh, and I'm explaining all of this because um, I'm reminded of it as a result of a television programme which is going out on BBC Two this evening. Uh, and <clears throat> I had this opportunity to, to watch a sort of a, a screening of this programme uh, a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. I can't even remember. I can't even remember exactly when it was. What I do remember of it of watching the programme was that was that it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. It related to classical music. It was something which is terribly important to me. It was about a piece of music that is also really important to me. And it was presented in such a way that was informative to me. Uh, it was evocative. It was harrowing. Obviously, not every piece of classical music is... Uh, has the potential to be harrowing, but this particular piece is. It is Shostakovich's Leningrad Symphony, um, inspired by telling the story of the people of Leningrad under siege uh, in the 40s. I don't know my European history terribly well. I I didn't know that I was going to go and see this screening until two hours before I didn't even know I didn't even know this program's go- that this program had been made or that it was going to be broadcast for those of you who don't know I work uh, I work at the BBC and I work in communications so sort of I get quite a lot of pre-publicity stuff uh, I get advance notice of things that are uh, going to be broadcast and also get sort of a reasonable amount of notice about things that are going to be commissioned and things that are going to be made so um the fact that I didn't know about something that would interest me struck me as a failing on my part because I hadn't really been paying attention to emails uh, or listening to colleagues telling me about this. Uh, I don't know whether they did. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they just didn't interest me. Maybe they didn't. Um, maybe they forgot all about me. Actually, maybe this is all their fault. That's a whole other podcast. Anyway, the point is that I didn't know about it. And I had had a really tough day at work. A tough day at work for me. Uh, Let's contextualise it. You know, it's not tough work. I probably make it tougher than it really is. Uh, But but I'd had a hard day. I had had a hard day. God. And an instinct kicked in. I don't know what it was. Maybe I'd had a difficult exchange with somebody or something. I can't remember, I can't remember for sure, but but there was something really difficult about it. An instinct kicked in, and I just thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up from my desk, I'm going to leave the building that I'm in, and I'm going to go to the building next door, and I'm just going to drop in on somebody. BBC obviously has sort of lots of different buildings in central London, uh, not quite so many buildings that they had before, but um, around broadcasting houses, there's a couple of, there's three actually, three buildings, uh, uh, where I know people who work there, and, and and just like any other workplace, you know, when you're having a hard time, you just think, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and speak to them, because they'll make me better. Um, 
so that was why I went over to this other building. Um, and uh, it smells of pepper. It smells of pepper in that in that building. It's not it's not a very nice building. And everybody's hemmed in. They're a bit like chickens in a in a in a hen house. Really, it's it's quite intense. I mean, it's quite intense in most BBC buildings, but but. Um, it was quite intense. Anyway, uh, so I steam into the uh, into the communications department on the first floor, uh, and I pass news. News are lovely. They always put their hands up and go, hello. Uh, and then I pass news, and then I go around past Radio 4, who have been very serious and quiet, but they do wave in a sort of silent way. Uh, and, then, uh, and then next to them is Radio 3, who are, who give the appearance on this particular afternoon of being extremely smiley and very laid back. And... Strangely for Radio 3, very excited. And uh, I, I came in with a very long face. Oh, hello, hello, how are you? Uh, and, uh, and they told me how they were, and they told me that they were excited, and they were lo- very much looking forward to their screening during the evening. Obviously there was something in my facial expressions that communicated the fact that I was both excited for them and possibly disappointed that they hadn't invited me given that I am a classical music fan I do write about classical music on my own blog um, uh, which they've often emailed me about uh, but um, oh maybe it wasn't my facial expressions at all maybe maybe they maybe they sort of put two and two together when they saw me and went oh you must come along to the screening this evening um, uh, and and I said yes because I knew it was because they told me it was Shostakovich and it's a Leningrad symphony and I love Shostakovich's music and I particularly like the Leningrad symphony, um, and it felt it felt like I'd been given an early Christmas present. That is how shallow I am as a blogger. That if a PR says to me, "Would you like to come along for free to this thing and see this?" Uh, I'll go, "Yeah." Uh, because it does feel like having a bit of a pat on the back. I'll be completely honest. When when I get invited along to things, it's like, oh yeah, great. Um, it happens reasonably often, but I never tire of of that sort of thrill of being invited to things that are completely unexpected. Uh, clearly, I am not a cynical old hack. Uh, so I went along. I went along to the screening. And uh, as I say, it was harrowing, and it was um, it was really difficult and challenging, and it it sort of contextualised um, Shostakovich's symphony in a way that I never imagined a TV documentary could do, uh, and and might possibly have changed the way. I approach that work now. I may approach that work with, with a certain amount of danger. The The thing that really surprised me, though, was that I sat in this cinema, uh, like a private cinema thing, um, next to a colleague who I sort of rarely see, and um, we talked a lot about music, and it turned out that she's a classical music fan as well, and, and I didn't realise that, and that she had sort of... Uh, learnt, I think she'd learned the piano when she was younger, but she'd stopped playing, and that, like me, recently she'd sort of taken up playing again. 
Uh, and that was the extent of our conversation. You know, that was the extent of me getting to know Charlotte a little bit more prior to this really demanding documentary, although neither of us realised it was demanding at that point in time. Uh, and, then, and then we sat down to watch it, and it was so moving, it was so touching, that there were probably four or five moments in this 90-minute documentary where I was wiping tears from my eyes, <laughs> sat there thinking, I'm really glad the house light's not up, because actually, not only did I not know that, class, uh, that Charlotte was a classical music fan, but... I'd also not like to see, have her see me crying right now because it just seems like it's it's way too soon for her to see me crying. Uh, that is how good it was, and directly afterwards, I had to just leave. I had to leave the screening directly afterwards because I just I just didn't want to talk to anybody. Shostakovich's son was there. Um, and he was doing a Q&A afterwards. I just didn't want to hang around for that because, because then you'd have to go through that rather painful small talk with people afterwards. And, and, and emotionally, I just wasn't in the right place for, for doing that. I wanted to sort of... I didn't want to wallow, but when you've watched something like that, I felt, you know, small talk just seems almost disrespectful. So, inevitably... I thought, well, I need to capture something. So I captured this in Carnaby Street. I've just finished watching a screening, a special screening of a programme which will be broadcast in the new year. Uh, I don't often get invited to things like that, but when I do, and this invitation came my way quite by chance um, it's always a very special experience because it feels as though you're being well you are being let in early on something and you're experiencing it in a in a private cinema with loads of other people who um, you wouldn't normally sort of get to see I haven't really been mingling I didn't I got there very late and didn't really have a chance to talk to anybody uh, barely had enough time to get a drink but uh, the opportunity to see the programme was something I really, really appreciated. It's a programme about uh, a symphony that uh, is really important to me and I imagine a great many of my friends who love classical music. Um, it's Shostakovich's Leningrad Symphony, which, as a, as a musician, is just a terrific thing to play, on the one hand. Um, it is a terrific, monumental work to listen to. It is hugely entertaining and incredibly uh, evocative. Even if you know nothing about Shostakovich, his, his life, what he endured, uh, what the Russian people endured, what, what the people of Leningrad endured, um, just listening to the music will, will conjure up... Uh, potent, evocative, terrifying images. It is the most amazing thing. Uh, so on that score, two very good reasons to enjoy the symphony. Uh, I always knew that there was a backstory to it. I always knew that it was inspired uh, and dedicated to the city of Leningrad, hence its name, but I had no idea of the realities of what happened in Leningrad. Uh, at the time that this work was composed. 
the program that I saw in a, in a in the screening in the the program that I saw in the screening was uh, featured a performance given by uh, St Petersburg Orchestra. Um, it was it was listened to by a handful of people, <clears throat> some of whom uh, were siege survivors, some of whom who had lived through the siege of Leningrad. Uh, and had come out the other side. And the anecdotes were incredibly painful to listen to. There were also uh, uh, anecdotes that read out from from a um, from a doctor who lived through the siege with her baby daughter, who kept a diary. And the details in that diary was very, very difficult to hear. Uh, not in terms of graphic detail necessarily, but just the, the picture that it painted. Um, I found it incredibly difficult at times. Uh, really, really painful. Necessary, absolutely necessary, and highly recommended for anyone who might consider themselves to be blessed, charmed... And possibly taking life for granted. But what added, what added to the the torment of watching it, was a growing sense that I have of people being bullied, people being people being subjected to all sorts of hideousness, sort of lazy hideousness, the stuff that goes under the radar, the stuff that we are all exposed to on a daily basis but because we experience it on a daily basis it becomes part of our daily experience and we no longer notice it we no longer let it have any impact on us we allow it we condone it we 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 say to ourselves we may not literally say to ourselves but we kind of say to ourselves well that's how it's always been that's kind of how it always should be because that's what I'm used to and that's probably what I deserve and so watching it watching that programme with this music which is really important to me and music which moves me every time I hear it but music which now has added poignancy can't can't help thinking about those those instances of bullying that I've been exposed to and the instances of bullying that other people have been exposed to that have been that I've read in in news stories today and and the likes of Tyson Fury sharing his views on homosexuality and abortion and how how Jesus Christ will save you and and how he thinks that that's acceptable and that there's nothing wrong with that and how he thinks that those strong views that he has on homosexuality and abortion are acceptable because they are masked behind the apparent respectability of uh, Christianity a belief a belief in Christianity and the ability to quote sections of the Bible absolute nonsense, absolute bollocks it's It's not a daily experience which 
the people of Leningrad suffered. I'm not in any way comparing them or saying that they that they are the same in their intensity or their impact or or their psychological effect. Not in any way. But it strikes me that we still have uh, an individual responsibility to be vigilant and to stand up against the bullies and to stand up a, stand up to the people who say the things that are just not right. We shouldn't accept them. We shouldn't condone them. That is our responsibility.